listening to Law and Gospel on this Friday, June the 24th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at emails that come in today. One of the emails really dealt with some of the subjects we were talking about this week, and that is the distinctions between God's use of the law. He has three uses of the law. And you cannot find in the Bible a use of the law that doesn't fit under one of these three. We talked about the first use is the governmental use, where the government is given commands and to the people, if they don't obey them, they can be punished with fines or prison time. And so that is keeping people outwardly straight. It has nothing to do with becoming a Christian. It is just checking out outward behavior. The second and third uses of the law we talked about were the second use is where we are accused of not meeting the demands of God. And that means when we don't meet the demands, then there is punishment. The third use is simply God's information for us. And what do we mean by information? All we mean is that God indicates what it is to live as a Christian. And therefore, here's what a Christian does, and here is the blessing that they are received because they are already connected to Jesus Christ by faith. In fact, Galatians 4 and 5, as we looked at, show that we are imprisoned under the law when we are born and we are taught to do what is correct by means of threats and punishments. But then when we receive faith in Jesus Christ, the motivation changes that we now have love towards Jesus. And that is why that is a third use of the law, simply telling us this is how the Christian behaves in this world that God has created. So I thought what we would do today in kind of an answer to questions about when is this law, when is this gospel, when is this second use, when is this third use? All right, let's go to a sermon done by Jesus. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, because in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, what follows 
is what we refer to as the Beatitudes. And why do we call them Beatitudes? Because they have blessings attached to them. So the first is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is the law here? The law is that we are to be poor in spirit. And what does that mean? It means don't think that in your own spirit, apart from Jesus Christ, you are enabled to offset your sins. You cannot do that. You cannot pay or merit your way to heaven. But if you are poor in spirit, which means you tell God, I am a sinner in need of your help, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what use of the law is that? I would consider that to be the third use of the law indicating the kind of attitude that a follower of Jesus has when he is a believer in the gospel promises of Jesus. We've said this before, that only a believer can truly confess their sins because they are not afraid of God, knowing what happens after they confess their sins, they are forgiven. Then verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In fact, if you go through each of these Beatitudes, they indicate a condition that the Christian is to have and does have through faith in Jesus Christ. So this would not be second use of the law where you're telling someone, boy, you better be poor in spirit. You better mourn. You better be meek. You better be thirsting for hunger and righteousness. You better be merciful. You better be pure in heart. You better be a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when you go through these Beatitudes, these are descriptions of what the Christian is going to be experiencing and doing through faith in Jesus Christ. So after the Beatitudes, which are third use of the law, informing us of the attitude of the Christian, you get to verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, is that law or gospel? Well, it certainly isn't gospel. 
it does say that the Christian is the salt of the earth, but then it talks about a negative consequence if you have lost the taste of salt. And it's no good for anything. So Christians are to be the salt of the earth, but if they lose their taste for Jesus Christ, then they are to be thrown out. Similarly, verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. So that's a statement of what a truly believing Christian is. But a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, who is in heaven. Now, this is really second use of the law, because it's giving a negative consequence to those who do not shine their light before others. This is a real problem today in the Christian church. You have many Christians who hesitate to talk about the manifold sins that are going on on earth simply because they're afraid that if they talk about it at work, they might get fired. And if they talk about it in the church, Others may leave the church because they don't want to hear this law of God. But Jesus did not mince words. He indicated, remember to the Pharisees, no, your father is not Abraham. Your father is the devil. And of course, that was not taken very kindly by the Pharisees who were unbelievers although we do get some who do become believers, not through hearing that, but through talking to Jesus and hearing the gospel that he had to say. So, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Now, is that law or gospel? The reason that is the gospel is because Jesus is giving a promise that we freely receive. We don't have to pay for it. We don't merit it. He has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Why is that such good news? Because the Christian is expected to fulfill the law of God. What is the law of God? That's what God in wisdom, namely Jesus Christ, has said is the way of proper behavior, proper attitudes, and proper faith on the part of a believer. But to get to heaven, 
God must recognize that you are fulfilling the law. Now, how can you do that if you're still a sinner? Well, take a look at Matthew 25, and that's also in this book. We're looking at Matthew 5, but in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. The sheep are recognized for following the will of God. And they're surprised because they know that they have been sinners. But Jesus is making a distinction between the good works they attempt to do on their own power that the goats are doing, which are not sufficient for salvation, and the good works that the sheep do because they are motivated by the Holy Spirit. They're called fruit of faith. And you do many of them, and you are unaware of them because they're so automatic for you to do. And so that's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. So all of the law is fulfilled in Christ. Verse 18 continues, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, and that's judgment day, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So that's good news of the gospel. But now listen to verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a statement of both law and gospel. If you relax any of these commandments, let's say you're married, but you cheat on your spouse, and then you get others to do the same, namely your partner you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You see, there's an accusation against you and a negative consequence. That's the second use of the law. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's the third use of the law. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, is that law or gospel? Well, on the one hand, it's second use of the law. Because if you don't have the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, then you will not be saved. How do you get that righteousness? It's a righteousness given to you by Jesus Christ when you receive faith from the power of the Holy Spirit to believe the gospel message 
of Jesus Christ. So therefore, when that righteousness occurs, it exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because they're only doing good works. And that doesn't save anyone. But your righteousness results in fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that makes a big difference to Jesus Christ. So you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus gets into some specifics. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, is that law or gospel? Obviously, that's the law of the second use, because it indicates that if you break this law and murder someone, you are liable to judgment, and that judgment could be eternal hell. But then Jesus goes on, verse 22, Matthew 5. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, is that law or gospel? Obviously, that is the law attached with the punishments. Notice, it doesn't matter whether it's thought, word, or deed. The punishment is the same. You are liable, first of all, to the council, you're liable to judgment, you're liable to the hell of fire. So that is when we go to like prison as a pastor and are speaking to prisoners, some who are murderers, we can say that. And it is to alert them to the fact that this can be their punishment if there is no repentance. Verse 23. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly, with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So when you are not in reconciliation with someone, you need to approach them and be reconciled. Because when you go to the Lord's Supper, one of the things you're doing is confessing your sin ahead of time. 
And when you confess that sin, you are saying to God, be merciful to me, a poor sinful being. God will be merciful and will forgive you that sin. And therefore, you will not be under the judgment or the curse of the law and never get out until you pay the last penny. Then he goes, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, that your whole body go to hell. Now, this obviously is the second use of the law. Because it is saying that adultery occurs not only by an action, but also when you have a lustful thought toward, say, a woman. Now, the idea of tearing out your right eye or your right hand, the way you do that is through repentance. You don't really tear out your eye or your right hand, but you are saying to God, there's nothing within me that deserves any of your salvation. And therefore, it's very important that I not have these thoughts and I ask you for forgiveness. But we see here in the Sermon on the Mount a number of occasions where it is really different to act than as a Christian. I want to give one more, and that's in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other side also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now here we have both law and gospel. Because it's clear that the old teaching was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if someone did something personally against you, you got even with them by doing the same thing to him. Well, do not resist any longer. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. What Jesus is describing is the response of someone who is facing persecution when he was persecuted, 
Jesus did not resist or fight back. And Jesus wants us to trust in him who faced the ultimate persecution, death on the cross. When we are persecuted for our faith, we do not need to fight back. And so it's very important that as we hear of Christians dying in other lands because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They do not die because they do violence against the government, but because they rest in the peace of Jesus Christ, knowing that persecution is part of the blessed idea that we receive as Christians. Only a Christian can be persecuted for the faith because only a Christian speaks the faith which so enrages the unbeliever. And it enrages the unbeliever because they don't like hearing about the idea that they are poor sinners in need of a Savior. So, taking a look at the parts of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, we see that you have to be careful in distinguishing not only law and gospel, but also the second use of the law, which brings a punishment, and the third use of the law is simply God's information as to how Christians are to behave in this sin-fallen world. I'm Tom Baker, and the reason we do this is to explain law and gospel, which we hope to do again on Monday's broadcast. Be with us Monday at 9.30 and tell your friends about it so they can listen also. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.